historical context. Again, why is it important when we dive into a new book study that we lay this foundation? It's important. You need to know the historical context. You need to know what was going on during that time period. What was going on during that day? What's happening in the culture? Or you're not going to be able to kind of get your bearings. You see, we live in a very different day, guys. We live in a, a time, I believe, of great apostasy. Where even under the umbrella of Christianity, people are afraid to call out others for out-of-context teaching. We want to try and couch it as if to say, well, you know, there's some misinterpretation. Maybe that's your interpretation. That's my... And we kind of chalk it up to, well, it's an interpretation. And we kind of just go lightly on this. Guys, there's, there's no private interpretation. God meant what He said when He said it to the audience in which He said it. And there's an eternal principle and truth that carries over to where you and I are today. But context, context, context matters. And we've got churches around the globe that are pulling one verse out of context and creating a sermon around it to make you feel good. And that's just tickling your ears. And we are so undiscerning as Christians that we like sheep just follow that right off the cliff. And we've got to begin to understand the importance of, of contextual, historical context. We need to understand that when we come to the Scriptures, we come to it not checking our brain at the door. We must worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, Jesus said, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And so we need to engage our thinking. We are thinking Christians. So let's take a look at some of the historical context because it's important. First off, this study, this letter, this, this book, it's about 100 years after the Jews had returned to Jerusalem from a 70-year exile in Babylon. Now think about it. They were hauled away to Babylon. The north had, had been decimated at one point by Assyria, you've got the Babylonian captivity that's taken over and, and, and there's 70 years in exile in Babylon and, and then they've come back into the land. And this is, this is kind of cool because if you guys remember, we've already studied some of this history. You remember when we were in uh, Nehemiah? You remember we were in Haggai? Okay, Zacharias, these are all... The, around that time period. You're talking within you know, 100 years time period here. We've looked at these things. We've, we've understood these things. If you want to go back during your week, you want to get some good history, go back into our podcast. SoundCloud, right? SoundCloud.com. You can probably find some Nehemiah studies. You can get what's been happening. But 100 years, they've been, they've been in captivity 70 years in Babylon. They're back. They've been back in the land now for over 100 years. Now you remember how they were when they returned to the land. I just read you an account of Nehemiah when they were all excited about the Word of God again. And within a short amount of time, a hundred years, they've already gone cold, spiritually speaking. Wow. It's about 80 years after the temple was rebuilt. Because you remember, remember in Haggai when they talked about the younger generation when they re rebuilt that? They were, oh, it's glorious, it's beautiful. And what were the older people doing? Do you remember? Remember this account? <laughs> it's not the glorious temple it once was. And y'all remember that message that we talked about when we went through Haggai? 
Was the Lord not with you in Exodus when you came out of Egypt? Was the Lord not in the first temple? Is the Lord not in this temple? Is the Lord not going to be there on that day of the great shaking? Rejoice! The Lord's with you! And yet, here it is, 80 years after the temple was rebuilt. Strike the violins again. Woe is us. It's about 10 years after Nehemiah had finished rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Some believe that Nehemiah at this point has traveled outside the land um, as Malachi is now prophesying. There's going to be a lot of similarities when you go through this book of, of what was being addressed in Nehemiah's day. And that's why we believe these are contemporaries. These guys are around the same time. Because think about it. If Chandler were to write today and Jeremy were to write today about what's going on in America, we would have similar accounts on laying out what the problems are in America, Right? Because I know Chandler and I have talked to him. Anyway. But no, we, we, we would. You, if you were given an account of what's happening here today in America, there would, we could cite you know, certain problems. And so when you read Nehemiah and you read Malachi, you're going to see he's going to address the same problems. The same problems. And so God is trying to get the attention of His people. And even today, as God's people... He's trying to get our attention. I really believe Malachi is an appropriate book for where you and I are today in our walk before a holy God. I think the examples that are here in Scripture are exactly where we, the church, need to be. But we need to have ears to hear. Malachi marks the beginning of God's 400 years of silence which will be broken by John the Baptist's cry, Behold, the Lamb of God. Guys, think about that for a minute. This is the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. This is the last prophet. This is the last spokesman for God. This is the last, Thus saith the Lord, listen to what God has to say. And then it's going to go quiet. For 400 years, there's not going to be anyone pinning the authoritative Word of God. I, I, my, my Catholic friends, I'm sorry, the Apocrypha, those, those writings, there's some things that we can learn about the history during that 400 years of silence. I encourage you to look at those things, but those are not the inspired writings of God. There's some accounts and again some historical things that can be gleaned. You want to learn about the Maccabee family. You want to learn about Israel. You want to learn about how the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these people came to rise. Yes, you can learn those things historically. But it's not the authoritative word of God. It's silent. It's silent from the prophet of Malachi till another prophet speaks. And that prophet is John the Baptist. Can you imagine what that was like? Very dark time, no doubt. And then to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you, prepare you the way of the Lord. John the Baptist making it known that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The promised Messiah from all those Old Testament prophets. From all of those writings in the Old Testament, every single one of those things pointing to the coming of Messiah, and John the Baptist is able to say, Behold, 
the Lamb of God. Malachi is that last point. Uh, it's important to realize as you go through Malachi, as you look, Malachi is like uh, other prophets of the Old Testament. And imagine, if you will, you're looking out across a, a, a mountain landscape and you're on top of one mountain. You see the peak of this mountain. You see the peak of the other mountain. You see the peak of the other mountain. But you can't see the valleys. You don't see what's in between. Those things are a mystery to you. And so those Old Testament writers, that in essence is how they often uh, would see things. And so when you read Malachi, it's important. You will see short-term fulfillment. You will see off in the distance that he sometimes mixes these two together. They mash these two together, so if you will. So the coming of Christ, the Messiah is prophesied in Malachi. But he also sees the, the final coming of the Lord. And so it's important that we discern and distinguish the two based on the context, based on the writing. And we'll look at that as we get to it. Malachi, his name means my messenger. God's messenger. That's what Malachi's name means, God's messenger. The Septuagint uh, translated as an angel. Or God's messenger. You do know that's what an angel is, right? An angel is, in its original form, it, it means a sent one. It means one who, who's, who, who's delivering a message on behalf of God. So again, it's not, it doesn't mean it's a supernatural angel, angelic being. And I do not believe that is the case with Malachi. Absolutely not. I believe, he's, again, he's a man. He's a prophet. We just don't know a lot about him. Nor is it important for us to know a lot about him. Now, I'm excited you want to get to know your mailman. But he's got some routes to make, you know. I mean, does it really help that you get a bill in the mail if you know a little bit more about him and his family? I mean, you still got to pay the bill, right? I'm just saying. So it's a messenger. By the way, this is akin to when you look in the New Testament, you're going to see in the book of Revelation to the elders of the churches. Okay? The messengers of the churches, the angel, the elders, the pastors. So see, in the Old Testament, a prophet, a priest, oftentimes would function in such a way as a pastor does today. Guys, did you know I'm simply a mailman for the Lord? As a pastor. My responsibilities... Who cares about me and my personal illustrations? Alright? Yeah, it may be fun and entertaining at times, but guys, that's not the message. My responsibility is to get out of the way and let God's message flow. I'm simply a messenger. And so as long as I faithfully deliver the Word of God, as long as I faithfully, rightly divide the Word of truth, that's, I simply need to be a conduit of God's grace. And a conduit, you know, water flowing through a conduit, it's just, hopefully there's no obstructions and it's just able to flow. It's just able to flow. And that's, that's what I would desire your prayers for, that I simply be a conduit of God's grace. Now in so doing, as you'll learn in the prophets of old, as you learn in the writings of the New Testament, and as you recognize a lot of times just in church life, some people are not going to like the message. But it's not my message. I simply want to be faithful to deliver God's message. So Malachi is a messenger. And this is what he's doing. He's seeking to deliver what God has to say to his people. Again, my responsibility as a pastor is not to tell you great insights about my life or feel good stories. My job is to be a messenger of God. When I exegete the Word of God, I share God's truth, and Jeremy gets out of the way. 
That's the best way for me to fulfill my calling. When I don't do that, I get in God's way. And I don't want to get in God's way. An angel typically shows up again to deliver a, a, a message. He is simply a mailman. In this case, the mailman is a man. His name is Malachi. Well, what about uh, some other things we see here in the book of Malachi? Well, there are three specific uh, prophecies that are given here in this book. Three specific prophecies of comings. Now think about this. One of them is the coming of John the Baptist. Everybody look, if you would, Malachi 3. Malachi 3. And notice, if you would, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And again, we know this to be John the Baptist. We also uh, will note that the Messiah is, is mentioned here. It, it talks about there in that passage I just read of his first coming. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. But it also references His second coming. Notice if you would, uh, He goes from verse 1 to verse 2 in Malachi 3. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like lauder's soap. Now what in the world is lauder's soap? Many are asking, what is lauder's soap? That's a good question. Basically, this is a type of soap. It was a cleansing agent. It was helping to pure and to, uh, to cleanse uh, whenever a garment was um, shrunk and it would be used to wash and to cleanse. It's a purifying agent. And so when Christ comes... Uh, he is like a refiner's fire. You know what a refiner's fire does, right? It burns off the impurities. And you know the, how uh, when that would happen with gold or silver and, and that, that, that heat would be turned up and it would be intensified and, and it would cause those impurities, that dross, to rise to the top in the liquid, when it's melted down. And so the, the, that dross would be scooped out, would be removed. And the idea was that uh, that, that person could look into, into that pure gold or pure silver to see a true reflection. And that could only be done because of the refiner's fire to get rid of the impurities. And part of the great judgment that will come upon this earth one day is to purify. There will be an untold number of people who will come to saving knowledge of Christ during that time period through the great tribulation. There will be much wrath poured out upon the earth with the purpose of many coming to a point of repentance and faith. The second coming is mentioned, but we also see Malachi uh, 4.2, there's a coming. It's mentioned, uh, if you would, flip over to Malachi 4.2. This is a reference that, again, these things we will look at in closer detail when we get to these points in the text. This is more of a, uh, an overview before we get there. But you, but to you who fear my name, 
the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Mm. Again, the Son of Righteousness. MacArthur says, While the wicked will be devoured by the heat of His wrath, those who fear Him will fill His warmth with healing in His rays or beams. The reference is to the Messiah. He is the Lord, our righteousness. We're going to learn about these things. We're going to look at how Malachi, again, prophesied these comings. And then the last, again, is Elijah. Malachi 4, 5. Notice what it says here, Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we know, based upon Scripture, that we also saw that John the Baptist was a fulfillment in the spirit of Elijah. Notice if you would, let's turn over to Matthew. Everybody go to Matthew 11. And let's just pick up uh, in the context here. Um, let, me, let me just go with uh, verse 9. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And this is a, a cross-reference to Malachi 3.1. Jesus is quoting Malachi right here in this passage. Verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so again, we'll talk about these things as we get closer. But these were prophesied. These were fulfilled. These will be fulfilled. Do you understand the, the now, not yet concept happening? I mean, these things are being unfolded. The prophecies of coming. So let's talk about the breakdown of the book. All right, chapter 1 presents the problem. Chapters 2 to 4 present the solution. So when we start to kind of go through this, keep this kind of uh, big picture view in, in, in mind here, that we have a problem that's that's presented itself we'll talk about the themes here in a little while so we'll, we'll look at what the problem is and we'll look at what the solution is but this is sort of how you can kind of see this thing in a nutshell there's a problem problems with God problems with the relationship with God it's been broken and two to four is going to talk about how to solve that problem okay vanilla ice doesn't have a corner on the market 
You know, he ain't the only one who will solve it. The problem, that was terrible. Problem was with God, us, man's problem with God. God says, I've got the solution. I'm not the problem. I'm the solution. But the question is, were they going to hear it? Guys, you got problems today. You think you've got problems. Can I encourage you? God's the solution. Now, whether or not we hear the solution, that's to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But you know what we tend to do? Just like what we're going to see the people of Malachi's day do. We tend to harden our heart. We don't want to hear the truth. We want somebody to make us feel good. We want our ears to be tickled. So we pick and choose the a la carte of Jesus. You see, the church today is consumers. If it doesn't fit my menu, I'm going somewhere else to eat. And guys, that's terrible. We need to fall upon our face before a holy God in ash and sackcloth and fasting and prayer and cry out to the Lord, God, forgive us. We have strayed. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. And we need to desperately have a heart that hears and heeds. Thus saith the Lord. How desperate we need to awake. We have fallen asleep in our spiritual awareness. And then apart from a revival, a personal revival in our own hearts, in our own individual lives, we won't see a move of God in our land. But the solution is available. The offer is there. God's love is still extended. His grace is still sufficient. Lord, help me to see my problem and to see you as the solution. John Piper summarized Malachi. I mentioned this in the vlogcast. The Israelites had returned to Babylon exile. Jerusalem had rebuilt, had been rebuilt. The temple had been restored. But the people had not learned their lesson from the exile. They had grown skeptical of God's love. Careless in worship. Indifferent to the truth disobedient to the covenant, faithless in their marriages, and stingy in their offerings. To this carnal and rebellious people, God sent His messenger. Malachi means my messenger. And the first message he put on his lips was, I have loved you, says the Lord. Guys, this is a message of love. It may not feel like it sometimes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It hurts sometimes to have the truth told to your face. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. But isn't that far greater than somebody who will stand there before you and sugarcoat it and in essence lie just because they don't want to hurt your feelings? That's not a friend. That's not a friend. That's not a brother. 
I need you to tell me. I want you to be told. I mean, these are the, we should desire this type of love. Understanding it comes from a heart of love, not a heart of hurt. Though it may not be what my itching ears desire in the moment, if it's truth in love, it should be received. Well, let's continue. The theme, God's covenant. Throughout this book, you will see over and over and over again God's covenant. Guys, we got some weddings coming up, you know, soon. And uh, one of the things when you get into a marriage, marriage is not a ceremony. I know we spend a lot of time uh, looking forward to the ceremony. We, we build up and we pour a lot of money into and we kind of get excited about the ceremony. That's fine and dandy, but the ceremony isn't what makes marriage. Then you have those who focus on a civil union. It's, it's, it's a contract, some would say. It's a legal thing. And so they treat it as such. It's nothing more than a contract. Ah, uh, it didn't work out. Sorry, let's just go our separate ways. But when you look into Scripture, guys, it's important that we recognize that marriage is a covenant relationship. We were told in Ephesians 5 that it represents Christ and His church. The bride is the church. The groom is Christ. That covenant relationship is not broken. It's an unconditional love. Now, what is not at play, Christ doesn't abuse His bride. There's no room for abuse in a marriage. But we must understand the picture that is laid out in Ephesians 5 is a picture of the great mystery of Christ coming to redeem His church. There is a covenant relationship. God's chosen people, His elect. And that is us, church. We are God's chosen people. We are His. We belong to Him. It's a covenant relationship. It's not contingent upon you and your performance. It's not contingent upon me, what I do or don't do. But there should be a desirous love for the groom from our hearts that desires us to submit and serve and want to be with Him. And so this covenant theme will be laid out over and over again as we go through Malachi. Again, we talked about broken relationships mended. How can those broken relationships be mended? I think there will be personal application. If you've got broken relationships in your home, in your marriage, in, in your uh, family or, or neighbor or whatever, there are principles here that will help you and I to hopefully find the grace that's needed, the solution to bring mending to that broken relationship. And it comes through an appeal. God makes an appeal throughout this book to repent and return to God. That's our solution. This is our solution. Repent and return to God. Imagine for a moment we're all in the bus. I hope it's not the church bus because it breaks down. But anyway, pray for that repair. Well, let's imagine that we're in a church bus that works, and we're all headed. I said, hey, we're going to Florida. Everybody in sunny Florida. Man, I'm tired of this cold around here. Let's go. And so we're rolling on the bus. 
Wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Do, do, do. Connor, you can blow the horn too. Do, do, do. Roll on the bus. Go. So anyway, we're heading, to, we're heading to sunny Florida. All of a sudden, Carolyn Hobbs looks out the window and says, there's an awful lot of snow for this to be South Carolina. We keep cruising because nobody says anything. Going down the road, Seth looks out and says, um, I'm pretty sure I just saw the White House. We're just cruising on, you know. We keep going. You just keep cruising on, keep cruising on. Next thing you know it, there's Miss Linda Fossis. Uh, that's New York City. How are we going to get to Florida going that way? We're not. What do we got to do with this bus? I got to make a U-turn, baby. <laughs> but if we make a U-turn, now we're heading in the right direction. And it may take a little while to get where we need to be. But guys, if we're heading in the wrong direction, we've got to realize this. And we've got to make an effort by God's grace, by God's insight, by God's love to turn this bus around. And that's his heart cry to his people. And that's his heart cry to us. And so examine yourself. Where are you on the road of life? We're going to look at that. We're going to talk about that. The Old Testament, it's kind of interesting because again we said Malachi ends. It's a book and it's the end of, of the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with a curse. Malachi 4, 6. And he will turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a strong warning. This was a strong warning. But you know how the New Testament ends? It ends with a blessing. Revelation 22, 21 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence, guys. Our grace, the love of God, if you need to see it on full display, you look to the person of Christ. Yes, we're under a curse. If we abide by the law of the Old Testament, no one stands righteous before a holy God. It points us to our need for a Savior. But Christ has come. It's the new covenant in His blood. And you and I can find the forgiveness. We can find the grace. We can find the mercy. We can find the healing that we need in Christ. So what's happening? That was a good show, by the way. Some of you don't remember that. You kids are too young. But that was rerun. He was my favorite. But anyway, it's a message to those living in Jerusalem. Message to those living in Jerusalem at the time. The temple, again, had been rebuilt. It wasn't going well. Again, check out Ezra. Check out Nehemiah. You'll see these things. Uh, at first, upon return, their hopes were high. You know, the people were excited about how things were going, coming out of captivity. But they were unfaithful. When it came to poverty, it came to injustice, they weren't faithful to the things of God. Are you faithful to the things of God? These are things we got to examine ourselves. Guys, this, don't let Malachi be just some study that we do and we don't hear the Spirit of God communicating. I've got to ask myself, where am I at? Am I being unfaithful in some of these areas that they're going to talk about in this, in this study? 
the book of Malachi is made up of a series of disputes. All right? You're going to see these laid out. Um, God's going to make a statement or an accusation. God's going to make a statement. Uh, accusation is probably a bad word, but it, it's, He's going to ask a question. He's going, to, he's going to claim this about the people. He's going to say, this about you. Israel then responds by disagreeing or questioning His statement. We're going to see this unfold. God will respond and have the final say. So there's this question. There's this question from God. There's this answer back in almost defiance of God's people, which represents the heart of the people. These are the questions of their heart. And you see this being written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And so God asks a question. They give a response. And then God has the final say. God always has the final say. Um, there's actually seven questions that, that will be asked in this study. Seven specific questions. You can go through the book and actually highlight and, and, and underline these. Um, I actually had printed off these questions and, and I left them in the printer. But that's okay. You can go through here and look. L let me just give you one of the first questions that you'll see here. The very start of Malachi. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? What way have you loved us? You say you've loved us, but what way have you loved us? You look over. Um, again, and I'm not going to run through all of these, uh, but... Um, one of the other questions uh, that he asked, you see it on your chart. Will a man rob God? How have we robbed you? You're going to see these back and forth. God's going to raise seven specific questions, six disputes in total. But, but, but there's, if you're looking at the questions when you go through there, you're going to see seven. But it's actually six disputes um, that are given. So, so let's focus on those. So, We've got a total of six disputes, and here's how it'll break down. The first three of these that are raised in Scripture that we're going to unpack when we go through Malachi, it's going to expose their corruption. God has a way of doing that, doesn't He? He asks the question to prick the heart. So you've got to think about the answer. You've got to think about the answer. And then the second three is confronting Israel in their... Corruption. And so he's going to do this not only with the people, but with the priests. I mean, this is shotgun blast right here. This is hitting everybody. And it will hit us the same. Exile didn't change anything. I mean, they've been in exile for 70 years and it still didn't change anything. We've been in COVID for two and a half years and it hasn't changed anything. Oh, I remember, man, when COVID first hit and the church was shut down. Oh, I can't wait to church comes back. I can't wait to church doors open. I'm going to be back in church. I ain't going to ever miss a day. That was Chris from Thousand Pound Sisters. Anyway, some of y'all don't watch that. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Didn't change anything. Didn't change anything. Still the indifferent, hard-hearted people. And that's what God's going to address. So how is your relationship with God? Let's close this out with some application. 
Um, how's your relationship with God these days? Church, we need to repent. We need to return. We need to reconcile. Do you doubt His love for you? Maybe, you? maybe you doubt His love today. Maybe you're going through some circumstances and you just wonder, God, where are you? You know, why would God allow this to happen? It's the refiner's fire, guys. Think about what the result is. When the pressure of the fire is on, it gets rid of the dross. It gets rid of the impurities. It, it, it causes you to either draw near or run. It's going to produce the precious metal. And those refiner's fires, we have to go through them, guys, in order for us to be strengthened. We have to go through some junk in our life in order to find out, is the faith you claim real to you? Oh, it's fine to serve Jesus when everything's going hunky-dory. But when the wheels start to fall off the bus... Oh, I shouldn't say that. They're still on the road trip. Anyway. <laughs> we, we, you know, but that's when we're tested, right? We need to find out. We need to determine, where am I before a holy God? But can I encourage you today... If you want to know if God loves you, you look to the cross of Calvary because God demonstrated His love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. There's no doubt He loves us. There's no doubt His grace is sufficient. There's no doubt that He's put that on full display for all of us to see. And He was willing to humble Himself to the point of death on a cross. He endured the suffering and shame that was set because of the joy set before Him. There's, there's joy beyond the pain, guys. Whatever you're going through today, there's joy beyond that. Everlasting joy. And by God's grace, you can see your way through this just as Christ Himself saw His way through the cruel cross to return to the glory He had with the Father before time began. And our eyes must stay on eternity. Our eyes must stay on the prize, especially in the midst of those fiery trials. So what else are we going to look at? We're also going to look at um, this question. How's your worship these days? Well, I'm not talking about just a Sunday morning. You know, Paul says in Romans 12, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That, that's your holy and acceptable and reasonable act of worship. It's not unreasonable for God to expect you to live every single day of your life for His glory. To lay down those sins that are tripping you. To set aside those things that are worldly in nature that are pulling at you and stealing your joy. God expects you. He says it's reasonable for, him, for, for you to be able to just set those things aside to follow after Him. So how's your worship these days? Repent, return, reconcile. How's your marriage relationship? That's one of the themes. That, you know, we saw it in Nehemiah. You're going to see it here. They were leaving their wives and intermarrying with foreigners, idolaters. Now, you may not be 
running away with another exotic woman, at least maybe not physically, but is there lust in the heart, lust in the eyes? Maybe you've just sort of separated emotionally and spiritually or physically. Again, I don't know. I'm asking the question that's being asked to the people in Malachi's day. How's your marriage relationship? Is it right in the eyes of God? And maybe it is. Maybe it's not on your end. Maybe it's on your spouse's end. Hold true. Hold true to your groom. Let Christ be preeminent. Let Him have first priority in your heart, in your life, in the circumstance, in the situation. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. Again, I don't know. Allow the Spirit of God to shine and reveal in your heart today. And simply obey what God wants you to do. That's practical application. We're going to see it in the plea to the people of Malachi. How are you dealing with sin in your life? Is it kind of just, you've grown indifferent to it? We need to repent. We need to return. We need to be reconciled. God desires to bless you. And that's what we're going to see when we go through Malachi. His desire is for His people to bless them, not curse them. And can I encourage you this morning, church? Obedience always brings blessing. Obedience always brings blessing. Now, you may not see that blessing this side of glory. In fact, sometimes when you choose to follow after Christ... That's when the suffering begins. But just as Christ endured the suffering and shame of the cross, He did so. He knew what was beyond it. He knew the joy that waited on the other side. You too, by God's grace and strength, can endure the suffering for the joy set before you. Obedience always brings a blessing. And then last... Are you ready for the coming day of the Lord? If the Lord returned today, are you ready? Are you ready to stand and give an account for where you're at, what you've done in your life, spiritually speaking, in the name of Christ, how you've served Him, what you're currently doing, where you're at in your walk? There's coming a great day when He will judge the wicked. But there's also coming a day that He will take His children and they're worthy simply because He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And we'll give an account for the things that we've done in the name of Christ. There will be rewards that will be given out, the great beam of seat. We will give an account for everything we've done. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is a prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. Are we ready for that day? 
And where will we be? Will we be amongst the wicked or will we be amongst the worthy? It's not based upon your deeds, guys. The deed's done. Jesus Christ paid it in full 2,000 years ago. It's finished. It's finished. And He offers you the grace. He offers you the forgiveness. If you'll repent and believe, turn to Him. Cry out to Him. Call upon His name. He promises He will meet you with grace. If the Father draws you, He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to cast you out. And so I beg of you, hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the church as we go through Malachi. This is the book of Malachi. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We look forward with anticipation each week for you to meet us right here as we study the Word of God, that you will open our hearts, you will open our ears to hear, that you'll help us to see on the pages of your Word our own hearts, our own lives, that we'll look at the example gone before us, that will reflect upon your chosen people, And see, Lord, how you've called them to repentance. And realize, Lord, that you still call your children today to repent. There may be uh, that there's need here today. Maybe that first call to uh, repent and believe, to be justified, to be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would deal with hearts. If there's any man or woman here, child, adult, anyone here, anyone listening or watching online that needs to come to that point of complete surrender, that you would draw them today. They would see the love of Christ displayed fully on the cross of Calvary. And that through Christ's sinless life, He was willing to go to that cross and take upon Himself our sin, the sins of the world. And He paid it in full with His own body. And He was buried... Three days later, He took His life up from the grave to prove once and for all He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. No one can come to the Father except through Him. And Lord, He extends that message of hope and that message of grace that whosoever shall call upon His name shall be saved. And so Lord, I pray if there be anyone out there that's listening, that's never turned to Jesus Christ, let them turn right now in this moment and to cry out to a holy God for the mercy, grace, and forgiveness that's needed, that's been given to them, that's been paid in full through Christ Jesus. And that today they would call upon Him as Lord. And so, Lord, grant that, that by Your grace, that they might have new life. Your Word says, He who has the Son has life. But it warns, he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so, Lord, if there be anyone here without Jesus Christ, I pray today they would turn to you to seek the grace that you extend. And, Lord, for those of us who know you, those of us who call you our Father, Lord, help us to examine ourselves where we're at. And may our worship be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We know it is in Christ 
Help us to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Help us to die to self daily, that we can yield our lives, that we might walk worthy of our calling. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. For we ask it in the name that's truly above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And for His sake we pray. Amen.